This podcast is proudly supported by Drama Victoria. We would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we record. We record on the land of the Wurundjeri Wilnum people. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we sit down with Gus Powers, freelance set designer, director and stage manager to talk through his process when designing for the stage. If you would like to look at some of the pictures that we are talking about throughout this conversation, a link can be found in the episode description. Without any further ado, I bring you Gus Powers. Gus Powers, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Your recent Instagram post showed your journey from concept to realisation, and obviously there's a link to that in the episode description. But can we go back a little bit further, even before that first mock-up, and talk through your process? Yeah, of course. Um, That um, design came to me at the end of last year when we were coming out of lockdown, which was all very exciting. And it, it was to design a touring production of a show that's already happened before. Um, And that show was called Facing Up and it was at the Royal Botanical Gardens. Royal Botanical Gardens in Ballarat? There may not be a royal in front of that. Um, And it's based on the Prime Minister Avenue, which is all these plinths with um, bronze busts of Prime Ministers on them, Um, which has happened before and we had to create that for a touring show. Um, So the first thing was really meeting with the director um, who wrote the play, Linda Nichols, and talking about what she saw for a touring version of this show. Um, And I had to go back and sort of have a look at where it was originally and take that into context and work out how I could develop something that was a cheap, something that could pack up into the back of a car and tour around schools, hopefully. Um, And it started from there. Um, And then lots of discussions with the director and drawings and then we finally got into rehearsal um, and started to add other things. So it was a, and because we didn't go onto the show, like the show was supposed to open on Sunday the 30th um, due to lockdown version 4.0, um, I, I had to, I, my body was ready to sort of produce this work into the world and couldn't do it. So had to just put this post up of where we got to or how we got there, um, even though we never really got there in the end, but hopefully we'll come NADOC week. Um, and the pro, I guess I'm trying to think of the 10 photos I put up, but we started with quite a blank canvas. And then when we started to look into that and realise that what the show is about is it produces or presents Um, comments of Prime Ministers from the very first Prime Minister through to Scott Morrison. And then there's a contemporary Indigenous response to that statement by the Prime Minister. Um, So we've got one actor playing all the Prime Ministers um, and he sort of stands behind a lectern in order to make it relevant to a current audience. Like we see Prime Ministers at press conferences all the time. We understand what the blue suit and the the coloured tie means. Um, And then we had to have the Indigenous response from that. And when we started with this blank canvas, it became quite quite concerning that we were talking about a culture that's existed for tens of thousands of years. And 
I didn't want that to be a blank canvas. So then we started to talk about ways in which we could represent an ancient landscape in this set. Um, and obviously not being an Indigenous man, I couldn't take into, um, we couldn't take into the Indigenous culture that, that doesn't belong to me to help represent that. Um, so what we looked at was looking at um, mapping, given that something that white man did when they came to Australia and in particular topographic maps. And that's sort of where the design of the set then came in. Um, and then it was sort of painted in colours that you see in aerial shots around Australia of the Australian landscape. So that's sort of how that then developed. Um, and as we have two Indigenous performers in the show, the addition of this sand that goes throughout the set actually creates the Indigenous art. And therefore I could feel comfortable about a white man sort of given this playing space as a designer and for the Indigenous artists to create Indigenous art within that as well as their performance. I see. So that's what those piles of sand are for. They don't actually stay piles of sand for long. Yeah, they stop being piles and the um, performers actually make their mark in the sand, depending on what statement and where the development of Indigenous rights in Australia in the last 120 years um, happens, how, that, how, that, how they feel about those um, moments in time. So it's about how we as white people have sort of influenced um, the culture and the landscape um, and you know, creating scars in the landscape which the Prime Minister does when they arrive. They just sort of wheel through the landscape and sort of destroy things that Indigenous culture has built um, with no regard whatsoever. And the, um, the Prime Minister was given a white marble plinth to sort of symbolise something that is from another land. It's sort of something that's being forced in this land and is quite a stark contrast to the rest of the set. Um, and how much of that is actually mentioned in, in the script or is that all choice? Is that all interpretation? Yeah, all choices. None of those are in the script. In the script, it's it was written for the Prime Minister's Avenue, which was moving um, and it was a site-specific work. So it moved from bus to bus to beach Prime Minister. Um, this one had to be very different. So it had to be thought of very differently um, in terms of how to a tour a show that you can't, tour of botanical gardens um so how how can you do that um so the idea was one plinth and three actors on a on a landscape that you know hopefully represents the ancient landscape of australia um well having seen the designs and now heard your description and the it's it's a beautiful design thank you, you know, i'm going to nerd out for a second just be a geek and say it's beautiful it's such a cool idea and so uh, it, so beautifully articulated as well that the topographic maps and the different colors and, and you know traditional first nations colors and, and moments and motifs and looking at it from above and the idea of of sand and earth being then being used and then leaving their, their handprint behind or footprint behind and then the, the prime minister just destroying it and going through without thinking like there's a lot to that and that would have been really exciting when you were coming up with those ideas were those aha eureka moments or were those bit by bit kind of drawn out in collaboration and and you know conversation a lot of it has been through collaboration and it's a lot of the shows i design are, are quite quick what, what I'd sort of call quick and dirty shows. It's sort of like you get the show, the brief, and then you're sort of bumping in and 
two months, whereas this one's been quite extended um, over six months. So there's been a lot of time to develop it um, and discuss with the director and the actors who, you know, all have other jobs. So we're all trying to do this in our spare time, really. Um, so we've had a lot of time to develop it. So it's been quite exciting. And being in the rehearsal room with the actors as well um, to make sure that what the design is works for them in order to tell the story. Otherwise, I haven't done my job properly. Well, now I just have to see the show. It's going to tour. Is it going to come Good. to Melbourne? I We hope so. We hope so. We've, um, if it tours, it will come. Yes. We've recently just got a grant to develop a um, school's touring package. So... Fingers crossed. Excellent, we'll be great. In and near you guys very soon. Count me in. So we're going to uh, move away from this play for a moment, even though I'm yeah. sure we could actually now talk about this the whole time because it's really exciting. Uh, so, but just <laughs> to learn a little bit about the designer's process in general, and of course we know that every designer's process is slightly different, and you know your way isn't the way every single person does it. But you've been doing this for a while. I, I at least have known you for a while, and you've been doing it ever since I've known you. So there we go. <laughs> Got some time under your belt. Um, so how often do you, as a set designer, do you get to just pick the play that you're doing? No, never. No, <laughs> no. no. You, if you're the producer, yes. Um, but no, as a designer, you get given shows. Yeah, it's just not the role of the set designer to pick the show, is it? No, no. Yeah. So the role of the set designer is quite different to the director and sometimes yeah, the actor as well. The producer. Yeah, absolutely. My sort of, I'm there to assist the director, producer and the actors to create a work. Um, it's not driven by a stage or by a set designer at all. Do you, uh, with, the, with the exception of someone like Catherine Brack, who is kind of employed as set designer and director and kind of creative overlord of, of a work, mm -hmm. do you think yeah. set designers ever you know, does, does someone ever, the director ever go, hey, you're the set designer, you get to choose the show, we'll base it all around the set. Do you have, have you heard of that happening? Has that, has that ever happened? No, no, only, well, it's it's only really group devised work where that might happen, where I've experienced that happen, Exquisite Corpse, which was the last show I just did. That sort of started with, a, 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 I want to say 16th century, but it could be 14th century text. Um, and the producer basically said, come with an idea for the design and we'll base the production around that. So it was sort of text and then the design came through and then the actual script was written from that point. So that's one of the few opportunities where it's sort of been design what you want um, and we'll base the show around that. So I've had that experience this year, which was really nice. I don't think many student set designers out there are under the impression that set designers get to choose everything. I think we all understand that they're all within a piece. Um, so as a set designer then, what things do you look for in a script when you are given a script? Um, well, I always do a script plot um, or an extraction. So I will go through page by page, noting where we are, um, what period, whether it's historical, um, time of day, season. Um, and what items are called for, whether it's, you know, in a room or an outside space, and just go through the whole entire text um, so I get a good sense of where we are, how many characters there are, what they're wearing, and so by doing that, usually it's just a first read through to get an idea of pace and, um, and timing and all of those things, but then the second read is a very, very slow thorough read of the whole text and 
you know, my very early training was as an actor. So it's, you know, therefore I look up every word that I don't understand and make sure I write that down. And Google makes life so much easier these days. And so everything's Googled, place names, all those sort of things. So I have an idea of what that world is. And it's, I'm usually pretty lucky in, at the end of that process, I usually have a fairly strong visual image in my mind as to what the show looks like. Um, and, and then what you need or then maybe what you can extend or exaggerate or remove, you know, you, yes. you know what's essential and what's not maybe? Yeah, definitely. There's, a, uh, there's often a lot of reduction, um, particularly because you're always limited by a script. Um, a script and then a budget and a budget's like a huge thing like <laughs> it's sort yeah. of like the, the well, that's what, we, what i didn't pick up on before your touring production that you're going on like yes. the fact designing for mtc or designing for la mama is very different from designing for 15 theaters and 17 schools in Absolutely. random locations like it you have to fit everything in, a, in one car with three actors sometimes two cars if you're very lucky yeah yeah hoping for two cars uh, <laughs> this makes life easier uh yeah you've got a, a the space is a big, big important factor when you're looking at the text. And most of the time when you get a text, you know what theatre it's going in. So immediately they feed into each other in your decision-making. But it's been interesting looking at a touring set and sort of going, okay, well, I don't know where it's going. So you have to sort of make it malleable to be able to fit into various spaces. Um, it has a backdrop that can sort of be lowered and move back further if we don't have the height that we require. Um, if we don't have the depth in stage, we sort of can remove floor panels and things like that. Um, but most of the time you've got an absolute set theatre. It might in. be a good idea maybe to think about how the space could maximise the potential of the set, not just how can I fit my set in this space, but... <laughs> How can I make the most of the space as well? Is that something that we yeah, need to do? definitely. Um, I you will always look at the space that I'm designing for, and that will give hints as to how you can use it as well. Um, I've a theatre that I know you've worked in, which is a very difficult theatre called the Helen McPherson Smith Theatre, which is sort of three theatres in one. It's sort of a proscenium, half a thrust, and a little bit in the round, um, and that's a really challenging space to design for. It's not a traditional proscenium where you sort of fit everything into a box and you can hide lots of things and move things in and out. This is a very exposed space that requires a design that, yeah, doesn't always translate from a proscenium to a space like that. Um, and then you are quite often, particularly in Australia, and this is sort of coming through in terms of looking at the next show I'm designing, which is an old courthouse, and there's a bit of a tradition, I think, in Australia of communities turning old courthouses into theatres. Um, and that space is going to have to um, influence what the design is because I can't ignore that that's where the space, that's where the theatre is and that's what the building is in which you have to create this um, performance. So that has to influence what you design in there. Um, particularly if you're not, you know, if you don't have huge budgets and can't build a whole thing that to bring in, you've got to use what's there and that helps. Absolutely. And you've talked, uh, spoken us through your, your kind of extraction method. You call it a plot as well. I'm used yeah, to it being I, called an extraction. What did you call it, sorry? I call it a script plot. 
script club. I mean, yeah, yeah, in the end, yeah absolutely. Yeah. That's kind of step and... one. And then you spoke yeah. us through your, your process and how important collaboration is in design. I'm, I'm wondering if you have any activities or tasks or exercises that actually might help people unpack a text for analysis or design. Like there are students out there that are reading a script that want to be a set designer that, you know, what do you, what's a fun thing you do? The fun, well, the thing I always do, and I'm a little bit old school, I think in this now, um, and I think all the young people have moved to online for this sort of thing, but I have a set model of whatever theatre space that, um, the show is for, and I create white paper models. Um, so I make miniature versions of the set and play with it in that space um, and modify it from there. And then quite often you'll go through and paint that white paper model set and create an actual model, which is one to 25 scale to make sure you can fit all the people in and fit all the furniture through doorways and things like that. So that's how I often play. It's just lots of play um, and making models and really realising that you do need maths as a designer. (laughs) For anyone out there who wants to be a designer hates maths, unfortunately, you use it quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, that, that idea of scaling, yeah. So, and that can be sometimes harder in a digital model. I know I, I use um, yeah. Tinkercad, um, to, right. um, you know, CAD designing and 3D yeah. printing the set designs, but it is not as fun as ripping up bits of paper and right. cutting them out nicely and painting them. There's, there's something different. It's the visceral experience of actually creating. Yeah, I agree. And I, I always find that when I then come to make the real version, it's a lot easier because I feel like I've already made it before. It might've been smaller, but I've already worked out the intricacies of various items before we actually get to make them. Um, So it forces you to think through all the processes that you need to go through to design all the individual pieces that will come together. Um, So yeah, I enjoy that. I find that fun. Yeah. But horses for courses, different people like different things, and that's okay. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm going to ask an unfair question. There's two questions left, just a bit of an unfair one. How do you know you're onto a good idea? And, of course, what on earth is a good idea? Oh, that's really hard. I, th- I think it's it's a big cliche, but I think it's a gut reaction, you know. And I don't know how to articulate it more than that. It's usually the first idea as well, which is a complete other cliche <laughs> yeah i was told to throw out your first five yeah. ideas and to yeah, I, mean, I mean but that's also happened as well i mean sometimes you will take your first idea to a director and they hate it so you come back with a second third fourth fifth and eventually you you get there but i've been fortunate i think in that most of mine and particularly the ones that i think that have been the most successful and i don't know if that's not blowing my own trumpet but i think they've been the first ideas like they tend to be the stronger ones and this um, is the first idea after the read after the extraction or the, the yeah. plot like you know after you know a lot about the play not just you look yeah. at the front cover and go oh i'm gonna do horses yeah no that doesn't work yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's yeah your first informed idea is yeah. the one that you go with i think right yeah and a good idea and i think an excellent example is what you've described here is an idea that that supports the piece enhances a major theme and gives emphasis to something of, of importance in the text like the idea of the of the lines and the colors and the sand and the the, the marble plinth in in your recent, most recent interpretation yeah yeah that's, I always, I, I figure part of my job 
and I've had a, a previous career in disability sport and part of my thought process behind designing a show is if I couldn't hear it, would I still understand it? Like, can I understand from what I'm watching what's going on and can I get something of the story? So I tend to um, not hear once I've sort of dealt with the text, um, I just watch um, from that point on. And if I don't understand something through watching, be that, you know, a character arrives and I know that character is supposed to be um, of a lower socioeconomic status and they look incredibly well-dressed, that that doesn't make sense. And so I have to do something about that. And that's all those detailing things that, that come in once you sort of have read everything, then you sort of detail and then you present it all and then you just keep detailing. Well, I keep detailing ad infinitum until opening night. <laughs> <laughs> and then keep going anyway. No one notices anything I didn't <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> so that might even be the good, a great answer to that last question as well. So what's your advice to those starting to think about set design is to imagine watching the piece um, without hearing anything and just letting the visuals take over. But do you have any advice for those starting to think about it? Those you know young people that are reading their first scripts and coming up with their first designs? I, th I think it's it always comes to text and space. You look at what story you're telling um, through the text and the text will inform you, provided it's a well-written piece. Um, you will know what it's about, you will know what the story is, and then it's how you can help as a designer to assist in that storytelling um, with everyone else that you get to collaborate with from directors to lighting designers and costume designers, multimedia designers these days with your AV and um, sound designers as well. Like all those people you work with and collaborate with to tell a complete story when often yours is just a, a visual one. So I always, yeah, I always have to be able to read it visually um, to understand it. Um, quite often you'll hear designers going, but it just doesn't read. And that just means it doesn't make sense in the context of the show and it needs to be articulated differently. Um, and they're the fun things. I think they're the ones that you really have to nut out and they're just not a, a simple solution because the script called for a red chair. You've actually found, you know, a reason why it's red and what sort of red chair it is. Wow. Well, that's some solid advice. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> so very much for your time today. Gus Powers. No worries. Thanks for having me. Well, that is all from us at The Aside. A huge thanks to Gus Powers for giving us his time. There are a load of episodes in the bank, so you can go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you'd like to suggest a topic for a future episode, you can email us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We answer a number of emails each week. We are more than happy to help. Huge thanks to Eltham College for letting us record here, to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support, to Aaron Searle for providing the music, and of course, thank you for listening. 